Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name's Henry and this week I'm joined by Dario and Mike to give a quick rundown through the news before a special podcast that we're doing on adaptive mountain biking. So, Kaz, this week, well a couple of weeks ago, about two months ago, we tested the Uno Burn, which is a distinctive looking bike to say the least. It had some really good characteristics in there as well, it should definitely be said. This week though, they released the Uno and Dario, did you say the icky? I mean, I'm saying it's called the icky. Icky. Like they called it the icky. I think. Like a bit. Oh, that's a bit yeah, icky. I think. Icky. Maybe. Oh, anyway, this yeah. bike is almost indistinguishable from the the burn in terms of its silhouette. If you saw them side by side, you'd think it just had a different paint job. Do you think that that is the way it's going? Do you think that you know that's what e-bikes could end up being like? And do you think it's important to have an e-bike? that for all tents and purposes looks like a regular mountain bike. I think there's definitely, I think that's what people want, or at least I'd imagine a lot of people want that because some of them do have that kind of pregnant bulbous look. They just kind of look large or look like refrigerators or something. Like so it's nice solid, you, a goose, solid a goose. Yeah, exactly. So these lighter weight ones, it is easier, obviously, packaging wise to make them look a lot like their non-motorized counterparts. And I think that yeah. is, for some people, that's pretty appealing. It's kind of nice. You don't get a second glance on the trail or anything either. I mean, on the Uno, you will get a second glance because it's an Uno. But besides that, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this one is I quite mean, subdued though in terms of its color. Sorry, Dario. Yeah. Well, in, in tandem with the like super slim profile is the fact that it's pretty lightweight as well. It's 40 pounds and like 18 and a half kilos. So in contention with a lot of people's regular meat powered bikes. So that's pretty, nice. pretty light. Yeah. You know, the conversation I think is sometimes so entrenched, it's so fatalistic, going between one extreme to the other. Dario, you're a, mm. a regular dude. You're out <laughs> being just enjoying your biking. How, how's how's your feeling? You know, someone that I know has done some huge pedals, you know, mm. who loves to go out there and kind of earn your turns. How's your feeling around e-bikes changed I, over the years? Has it changed at all? Yeah, I think it's evolved. I like was at one point pretty anti i think but have come around to the fact that they're one really fun two perfectly viable as like a, a means of access for a lot of people um i still you know 90 percent of the time ride a pedal bike but um on occasion i'll, I'll hop out on an e-bike i think in the winter i ride them a lot more and if i have one for tests then i'll like mm -hmm. spend blocks of time on it but for the most part, I, I'm lucky enough to have the time to, to ride a regular bike. So, yeah, they're definitely a good winter tool, I think. But summertime, yeah, when the days are long, like I'd rather just be on a regular bike. Just, even yeah. yesterday, Dari and I went on a pretty long ride, and it was nice to like. I don't know. You just don't have to worry about battery life or conserving or right. anything like that. It's like you just pedal until your legs are really tired, and then just pedal some yeah. more. Like it's then just eat like a bunch of sugar, and you feel it. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> I've done um four four rides this year that two of them i've been actually riding an e-bike two of them mm -hmm. i've been riding with an e-biker mm. and i'm on a 50 percent failure rate for an error code i don't understand <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yesterday yeah. was the second one that's one uh, hell of a hit rate honestly yeah. that's pretty good i'm yeah. doing better this year but there were some there's still been times where it seemed like yeah like i would try to i would have an extra e-bike once in a while and want to get a buddy like hey let's go try these out you should check out what e-bikes are like and it would just fail i'm like oh sorry i don't this know this is in not, fact what they are they're, like they're getting yeah. better but <laughs> but I think e-bikes yeah. are like taking your friend to that restaurant that you know there's a high chance they're going to get food poisoning, but mm -hmm. it's really good food. Yeah, yeah if it works me. out great, you're like, it's a good time. <laughs> what, what's frustrating yeah. is I, so I had like a test e-bike that died after 200 miles, like the battery shorted or something and just completely kaput. 
my dad has had the same e-bike for three years and has never once had a battery or motor issue. And he rides it like almost every day. I'm like, how did he yeah. get lucky? And I'm yeah. like ostensibly the professional and I can't keep one for longer than two weeks. But yeah, yeah. I do think they're a bit uh, of a crap. Ostensibly still. doing a lot of work there, Dario. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, so today we've got a video coming out where it's kind of the second half of basically me rambling on like a moron about how high front ends are absolutely fantastic, yada, yada, yada. Taking it to the extreme almost. That's right. The BYB, not BYB, the B. You got that, the... What's R? B. That's the telemetry. No, it's oh, the... The raise reverse stem. The raise the reverse B stem, yeah. BMB. BMB. Stem. Jesus, sorry, getting it all confused. Um this is something that's kind of been explored before. Mondraker did that sort of zero stem concept for a while there, Kaz. Rulesman, I know, Dario, you've been kind of following his work with, with the Keen Progress. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaz, did you ever get to try those Mondraker kind of concepts maybe as much, maybe as, much as 10 years ago now? Yeah, did, what about, did you think yeah, of them if you get the chance? They definitely, I mean, they, it was interesting at that time because they were one of the first bikes to go with the longer reach. Like that was the time when, you know, say a size large, you'd have a 450, 440 reach, pretty small. And then those bikes have long reaches and then the really short stem, like the zero mil stem almost, or 10, I think it's 10 mil, the ones that we had. It was, yeah, 10. Um, it, it was different, but definitely I didn't like the handling and how quick it felt. It just kind of a weird, I don't know. I've, I'd say I relatively have a spot where I like my hands to be in relation to the, almost just like where the fork is. And those felt mm-hmm. a little strange. Like you could ride them obviously, but they weren't, they didn't feel quite like they had unlocked it. Yeah. I went down like a deep rabbit hole in this years ago and ended up back at a 40 mil stem and flat bars, but tried the like Pacenti P-Dent stem, which was like a handlebar stem combo that brought it as close as possible to zero. I did the like very swept bars with a short stem thing all to try to get that like zero point steering axis. And I kind of just realized that normal feels pretty good for me, but I do like that people yeah. are experimenting with this. What's interesting is if we, and this is some really bad, basically anchored my bike down and kind of compared positions that the, the grip got to. And if you run a 75 mil um, rise bar, you got to the same height as this um, reverse stem. And if you run a minus, uh, sorry, a 40 mil stem, but on completely back to front, you got to the same um, sort of axis the other way. So, so basically if you ran your stem 40 mil backwards, and then oh. you'd need because obviously then it's then it's got mm. the steering angle to take into account, which then dips it down. But you'd want about hundred mil rise bar and a stem on backwards. Oh. Which honestly, no. it's it you notice it when you ride. You notice I'm it. Sure you do. It's something that comes up. <laughs> um, really interesting ride. It's funny. How I think that, how long did it take you to get used to it? Um, I truly I mean, I think getting used to it is a relative I, term. The thing, yeah, I mean, I think that I got as comfortable as I was going to get, you know, relatively quickly. It's it's one of those things that everything has a balance point, right? Whether mm. it's, you know, talk about in the video, but like stacking rocks on the beach, there will be a balance point in there somewhere. The problem is that you're so high up that when you lean the bike, it's so, there's not enough weight on the front. So even if you find that balance point, you only need a slight little step or lump or bump to, to lose traction on the front. And then because you're so lent and you're, the lever's so big about the contact patch, you feel like you just fall really quick. Um, honestly, I don't know if this could be maximized as a concept through having a longer rear end. I think that it's super cool. They're taking, um, the chap that's making this is just 
doing what he wants and yeah. what, you know, I think that's great. Um, and I think that people are taking up on it, which is great. I think for me, there needs to be something that changes in frame design to enable, or dare I say, you know, even begin to maximize the concept. Yeah, I could. That, it makes sense to me that it's a hard thing to to utilize in a vacuum. Yes. Like it's reliant on so many other aspects of the bike, like probably really long chain stays, probably a really low bottom bracket, all in tandem to get like maximum front wheel traction. Well, the thing you, you also notice is because you're, it's a bit like, imagine you're doing a press up and you've got your arms out straight. You're kind of relying on like the skeletal shape, you know, the skeletal structure of your body for support. And then imagine if you're doing it like three quarters, when you're climbing and stuff, you, your arms are constantly cocked. And I found that it was like, you know, loading my triceps. I found that if I wanted to weight the front, then I had to go even more extreme and basically put my face onto the front wheel and scrape my nose off it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it, I mean, it's, I don't know. Hey, mountain bikes come in lots of different shapes and sizes for lots of people yeah. that are lots of different shapes and sizes to ride terrain that's different shapes and sizes. So who, who am I to say? But for me, I, I thought it was extreme. Yeah, maybe not quite there as a, as a fully fleshed concept yet. Yeah. Anyway. And when it compromises your climbing that much, like the downhill for bikes, if it's aimed at trail bikes or enduro bikes, you still do need to climb a yeah. decent amount of time. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, apropos totally. of our, of the main podcast today, it's like, for some people that might be a really key thing to get the bike to fit them and like feel comfortable. And I think like you see a lot of older guys riding really, really high rise bars on the top of their steer tube just to help with like a stiff back or, you know, just like old injuries or something like that. And so perhaps this is like a good tool for people who need, uh, just like unusual bike fit. Absolutely. And more options are definitely a good thing. So, you know, more, more power to them. Um, but yeah, onto this week's podcast, and it's basically a chat with um, three riders who all have kind of very different setups. So we've got Stacy, Alex, and Cole. So Stacy basically is a ex Paralympian gold medalist in the sit ski, um, kind of a real like extreme fun loving guy. He rides a four wheel bike that he mainly relies on, you know, um, shuttling and chairlifts. Then we've got Alex, who actually rides a sort of an e bike. He's kind of pretty much one of the mill to help him get out on the trails and then we've got cole who rides one of those bowheads which is like an, a, an adaptive um three-wheel bike that's motor assisted uh, and it comes in kind of different flavors now you've got a hand crank version and you've got one that kind of just relies off the off the electric motor itself and honestly it was a super <laughs> really fun conversation i think i'd definitely like to come back in the future and do a part two maybe just to kind of continue my sort of journey with understanding it if i'm honest with you as well as fielding any questions from um from the listeners you know stacy brings up in this podcast but if you've got any questions about adaptive mountain biking maybe you want to know just because you're curious maybe because you want to you know you've got some a friend of yours wanting to get into it and you want to help arm them with some knowledge get in the comments below and ask some questions and we can definitely do a part two at some point it was super fun to record all just great blokes and we had um, a really good chat so i hope you enjoy it Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm joined by Stacey, Cole and Alex and thank you very much for coming on. This week we want to talk about adaptive athletes and what it is to have a life in the mountains and I'm super excited to learn more myself about adaptive athletes and um, yeah and so Stacey maybe you'd be a, sure. a great person to start. You know I'm shy. <laughs> what, what? How would you define an adaptive athlete and 
is that something that is quite a fluid thing? Is it, or is it something that I would just change the two words around instead of adaptive athlete, I'd go athlete that's adapted. Yeah. So that for me, that's what it's about. It's not about, um, quitting. It's about figuring stuff out, inventing stuff, reinventing it, going out there, testing it, breaking it, come back, fix it again. So I, I don't know. I just think honestly, it's just, it's what any athlete would do mm. adaptive or not. And you started off skiing. We're talking about this earlier on. And now you're just focusing more on sort of, you know, on, on the summer sports up in the mountains. I imagine, and this may be something, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I imagine the summer sports, you know, the, the, the mountain biking aspect, the technology's probably been later to catch on than the skiing. Would that be fair to say? Uh, it's a little bit behind, yeah, for sure. And how's it, how's it been in the last, because, you know, in the last 20 years, mountain bikes themselves have changed drastically i imagine it, for me it's case. been one of those deals where i was just so glad to stop skiing and just get into biking and <laughs> just so glad to be around people that thought the same you know compared to downhill racing in the ski um mountain biking is pretty blue collar it, it's a tough sport it's uh, not as forgiving as the snow um and it's one of those situations where um really it comes down to each individual and Cool. I understand you ride for you ride with for Bowhead. Yeah, you betcha. So you actually work. We're talking just off um, off mic there. Work close with Adam Price. Yeah, who was privateer boy. season one and two. Heck I yeah. used to live with Adam in New Zealand. I've got I've got a lot of time. That's a lot so of time awesome. for him. Adam's my dude. He's so much fun. We've done a lot of traveling together this year, and um, yeah, I started for Bowhead a few years ago, and just kind of get to do some media trips, and we've traveled all over the U.S. and Canada, and yeah, just ride bikes, man. Just try and help build community and. Yeah, create awareness and just get outside. And was how was your journey to that? Was that similarly like some from the snow as well, or how did that? Yeah, work so out? I kind of started skiing. Um, I mean, I yeah, not at the level that Stacy started at or anything like that. Just kind of pretty entry level, just getting outside and kind of getting back into sport. And um, yeah, skiing was kind of the first thing that dipped my toes into that. And um, growing up, I always mountain biked, raced motocross for a bunch of years, and loved the two wheels and just the summertime vibes. I think I just really enjoy being outside in the mountains and camping and yeah, just being at the river, fishing, all that kind of stuff. And uh, mountain biking kind of coincides with that a little bit. You kind of get to do both at the same time and um, lump them all together. So yeah, getting into mountain biking after that, I didn't really, uh, there wasn't as much access to, like Stacey's riding a four-wheel bike. And uh, there wasn't as much access to get into those when I was injured. So it was kind of tough for me to get into anything. The bikes that were available to me weren't really, yeah, tickling my fancy too much. And uh, yeah, anyways, Bowhead came into the picture and, I had a chance to hop on one and, and meet the owner and yeah, just fell in love and kind of got me back into the outdoors and into the things that I really enjoyed. And, um, yeah, I think right from day one, I just kind of like, I want to do this for a living and I, I just, I love it so much. I, I don't ever, I've never kind of believed in, you know, making millions or like, you know, hitting the lottery, that kind of stuff. I'd really just like to enjoy my life doing something that I love. And to me, that's worth millions. So um, yeah, just worked out that I got to kind of work my way into a position with Bowhead and now I get to travel and get people in adaptive bikes kind of like I did when I, when I first got into my bike and it changed my life and I get to kind of help change other people's lives. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. I was actually speaking to Adam just a couple of weeks ago and he was saying, you know, for, if you're kind of like a, someone that's really into your tech, one of the most exciting spaces right now is the sort of adaptive bikes. Totally so much technology is kind of snowballing and, and really, really opening up, totally opening up avenues, I bet in terms of design that previously weren't even close to. Totally. Well, yeah, I think like for me, I think Stacey and I can kind of agree on that. Like I, we both 
I think prefer gravity fed and I, I really enjoy the downhill stuff a lot more. And I've never been like a cross country. Um, you know, I never, we never pedaled growing up. It was always like a shuttle ride. We'd drive up and, and ride down and that was kind of it. Once in a while you'd like build some booters or whatever and hike up to hit those. But that was the extent of the, the up for me. And, um, so it's been really cool to see the progression, like, you know, two wheel bikes are crazy these days, especially in the e-bike world, um, to see that progress from like, you know, everybody just being like, so closed off to it. Like, oh, you're lazy. If you ride an e-bike to, you know, five, 10 years or into the future now where, yeah, the technology is super crazy. There's, you know, e-bike trails, um, just so much progression in the technology. And with that, um, it's kind of allowed us to progress with that in our, our bikes. So you know, the climbing and stuff that we can do on some of the bike models that we offer are, uh, yeah, it's crazy. You can climb stuff that i never thought I'd be able to climb on a mountain bike again. So, um, and I think Alex can probably attest to that as well. I think you mostly ride an e-bike too, right? Totally. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. It's cool to, so that the progression in technology from the two wheel bikes has directly transferred over to adaptive bikes. And obviously without the progression of the two wheel bikes, we wouldn't have what we have. So it's pretty wicked. Because am I thinking that there's, is it the bowhead, like, is it the RX model that's like the hand crank? Yeah, yep, RX model is the hand crank, and then, yeah, the reach model that I like riding and, and racing and stuff is, uh, like, fully electric. But when you're riding downhill, there's not much, like, obviously flat stuff and some jumps and stuff like that. You use a bit of the throttle, but usually the gravity-fed stuff is just straight gravity, which I really enjoy. You kind of, the, the motor caps out at, like, 32K an hour, so you don't really get too much when you're going downhill speeds anyways. So mm. it's kind of, it's super fun. It's a lot of fun. The suspension is just, yeah, everything's articulating. It's all just getting getting better, it's getting fun. And Alex, you actually live just just on the corner from where we are now in our Scottish yeah, office. Yeah, 200 meters from here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, how is the, you know, the Sea to Sky is known as this mecca for mountain bike riding, for kind of outdoor pursuits of all, of all things. How would you say the access is for adaptive riding? Is it, is it as good as it could be? Is it getting better? What, what, what's your... As a resident, it's one. getting better by the minute. Um, it's it's never really been a consideration, so it's it's new, right? There's there's a lot of trails that aren't, and people don't know why, and that's why it's not accessible. Um, I but, guess it's one of those things that nothing changes if nothing changes, though. Yeah, you know, so we've got to suddenly totally. kind of wake up to it. To and there's there's a community doing that now, and it's it's more of like Cole. I think you're quite involved in that as well with Sierra and. Um, the Kootenai Adaptive guys, they're kind of starting to build a bit of a program to to change a couple trails. Not not to change the features of the trails, but if there's a terminal tree on it that you can't get around, just like lop that. Leave the leave the chunky stuff in, leave the steep stuff in. Just make it so the bike can get through. And mm. those changes are kind of slowly being made and it's we got enough to keep yourself busy now, I think, for a lot of people. I don't ride one of those bikes, so I'm a little bit less involved yeah uh, but i see it happening what are you riding alex it's a norco range uh e-bike yeah it's got big pedals on it keeps my feet on the pedals i can't use clips because i can't unclip in time yes right yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. um so i just use the the big kona pedals and uh gives me enough space to you got that you got that bike sponsored by someone didn't you yeah yeah yeah, I did. Um, so I kind of, I left mountain biking for a little bit because I wrecked a knee. Um, and then through the passing of a friend, started building a new trail in town, um, Mickey's Magic. And yeah. Yeah, so the, cool. uh, the builder from that one, um, he kind of said, well, like, I want to help you get on a bike. 
you know, have you tried an e-bike? No, I hadn't tried one. I went and rented one from Lisa Lafroy and did a day. I was like, oh, this, this is going to work. Yeah. I can pedal a bike again and my knee is okay. Mm. And so then I, I grabbed one, told Ted, hey, let's go for a ride. And uh, it was quite funny. He started the ride. He's like, well, how much cost you? Oh, this much. I got a good deal on it because the guys in town are really good here at Tantalus. And, um, <laughs> the end of the ride, he's like, well, what's your email address? And I didn't put two and two together. And he said, I told you I'd help you get a bike. And he, he transferred me. No way. No bike, way. That is so sick. Yeah, it was very, very kind. Um, and he does, he does a lot of stuff randomly like that, which is bizarre. But mm. uh, yeah, it meant that I could like kind of build that bike and make it my own. And it's uh, kept me on it too, yeah. replacing parts. And, yeah. Well-deserved though, Alex. I mean, well-deserved. No doubt. Well, I don't know. It's, uh, I wasn't working for that, right? Yeah. yeah like, but I think that's one of the cool things about the bike industry is we're not so corporate yet that you can't, you, you do find stuff like that. People have just, totally. you know, smudged stuff to help someone out and I think that's super cool. Well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I don't know how you say well-deserved, but it's like, I'm just digging. I was mm. sitting on the ground, like plucking rocks. <laughs> and I wasn't doing, <laughs> Putting in wasn't work, doing though, a man. lot. Building like, community. Up there often and, and trying to get people together to dig and, and that. But Remember back in the days fun. when we used to ride the gondola together? Yeah. Whistler gondola. Like, were you 12 back then? Yeah, pretty close. Wow. Yeah, I think I was 16 when I wrecked my knee and that was a, they kind of told me to stop riding. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Stacy. Mm-hmm. So, with with kind of these sort of adapted bikes, you know, the birdies is three wheels. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. because that would be two on the front, yeah. one on the back. Yeah. And there's also, there's the four wheeled yeah. ones. Is that, whether we right in thinking that's what you read? I've been on the four wheeler since yeah, 1999. Like mm. Yeah. So I've got other, I haven't, it's not the same bike that I've had, but it's the exact same frame I've had. We keep building it, blah, blah, blah. I got into 99 and. I was just so stoked to find something that was just, like I said before, maybe a little bit more blue collar or just a little bit different, but definitely um, making that move to biking for me was all positive. And ever since I made that move, it it's just, like I said, it's been all positive. Mm. And can you talk us through like the tech specs of this bike? How, how much travel would it have? Um, my um, bike has about six and a half inches of travel. It's got six inch rotors all the way around. It's got a uh, steering dampener and what else? It's all chromoly, and most of the parts are actually from the bike industry because the, the more you can use from the bike industry and the less you actually have to uh, invent or build yourself, <laughs> yeah. the better off it'll be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easier to maintain too, right? Yeah, and I mean, so here I am in 1994 wanting to get uh, a four-wheeled bike, but there wasn't even an axle big enough to, to work back then. Yeah, So right. <laughs> I had to wait a little bit till the technology caught up. Um, technology caught up to what we wanted to do with the bikes. We wanted to jump. We wanted to go fast. Um, as far as what you're riding, you know, I really don't think it really matters what you're riding as long as you are riding. Yeah, 100%. so true. hundred percent. And you know, with two wheel bikes, they changed the wheel diameter by three inches and everyone lost their fucking minds. <laughs> yeah. Is there much of an entrenchment between two and three, sorry, three and four wheels? What, what, what would be the pros and the benefits? I imagine, I don't know. Well, what, Stacey, why would, why do you yeah. ride a four wheel and not three? I ran a four wheeler because... It's easy for me to throw around, and to be 100% honest, um, the the better you get in the four-wheeler, the less disabled you look, 
So I went on a mission and still on that mission to try to make four wheel biking look so cool yeah. that even people with two legs are like, I want to do that. Or that guy's got style or that guy goes fast. And when we're talking about, when we have, so obviously my knowledge of riding bikes has always been on two wheels and it's quite easy for me to understand how I weight the front compared to how I weight the back. How does that work on, on a four wheel bike? Yeah. Well, obviously I run my, uh, the front two shocks, the Fox shocks, a little bit softer than the rear. Yeah. You know, you might run your fork a little bit softer in the rear or in the front. Um, tires, I'm running about 35 to 40 PSI. Um, my bike, the coolest thing about my bike is when you turn that, the handlebars, I've got it set up so it actually feels like you're in a bike mm. because the wheels are turning with the handlebar. Unlike right. a car where you go and you go and you go and it's not doing that, but mine turns more like that. And so it makes it easier for me to throw around in the air. It makes it easier for me to get a little bit rowdy. And for what I do and for what I, I'm out there promoting, just looking good and going gnarly, it, for me, the four-wheeler is the way to go. And, Cole, you're riding three-wheeled. Why do you ride three-wheeled and not four? Um, our bikes are a little different than any of the other bikes. Um, we've built a, a system, like an articulating system in the front end that kind of lets you lean into each corner. It kind of, yeah. It, yeah. It almost inverses would that be like the chassis roll yeah exactly yeah. so you kind of it's a little bit of a different like it's a bit of a trip to get used to because when you're leaning into a corner the bars kind of work away from you so kind of different than what stacy was explaining when he turns into a corner his bars kind of come with them um ours are a little bit different in, in a sense that they turn or they kind of push away from you you're still steering uh the same direction as, as stacy was explaining but it's a little bit different in a sense that yeah you can you can lean into the corner and kind of like yeah, you can kind of like Scandi flick if you want. You can kind of play around like that a little bit. Um, articulating in terms of like off camber terrain and stuff like that too. Um, our kind of the, the big thing that helps us like access normal trails, like without being, you know, quote unquote adaptive um, is with that articulation, it allows us to be a little bit narrower. Um, right. Stacy's, you know, can rip around corners because he's a lot wider. I think you're like almost 10 inches. Uh, 36 like in the front. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, we're 29 inches wide in the uh, in the front and that's the widest point of the bike like we're not any wider than a you know i think my bars are like 680 and that's mm -hmm. the the width that you know normal people are going to get through uh you know a narrow point in the trail or tree width or whatever the case is um so for us it's it allows us to be a little bit narrower um but yeah there's there's advantages and disadvantages um when we started out first like we're running 24 inch wheels up front now when we first started out we were running 20s in the front and uh it's a little bit different like with the articulation and the way that it was designed, like our bikes weren't really designed for like mountain bike trails necessarily when it was first built. It was more of like an off-road, like wheelchair access kind of thing, accessing places you wouldn't really get to in a wheelchair. And uh, a couple of us just kind of, yeah, had the, a bit of a background to push things a little bit and um, yeah, just started pushing them and saw where it went. And yeah, now we're kind of just working on making the bikes better and being able to access more trails and more travel and bigger wheels and just kind of the same progression that two wheel bikes are doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think th that's probably the biggest difference is just the articulation. Um, his, his advantage, obviously, he's got more travel. Um, we're about seven inches in the back and we're like three and a half in the front right now. Um, that's just in suspension, but then you have like another, I think it's uh, like nine or 10 inches of articulation. Oh, shit. So as you kind of move, it's not, a, it's not like a controlled, you know, compression or rebound or anything with the articulation. It's just kind of free moving with some other bearings or bushings. Um, so it's not like a shock compression, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a different, different setup, different feel. I, I personally really like it cause it kind of allows me to like 
really get planted in a corner. I can like lean on flat corners and keep flat and kind of four wheel drift. Um, whereas, you know, Stacy's bike, I think again, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I just think, guessing, but it kind of just like drifts around and yeah, there's it, some chattery in there. He yeah, slides, he slides rip. a lot more than he tips. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. I feel like the bowhead can tip totally a little bit. How many, how many bikes do you have that are electric in you, in your like lineup at home? Do you have like a downhill electric? Do you have a cross country electric? No, or? I've got one. Mm-hmm. One tool to run. That's an enduro all. bike, is it then? The range? Yeah. yeah. So it's good. Got kind of downhill type ge- geometry then? Am I yeah. far off by that? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's full 29. Um, Boom. I put the Fox 38 on it. Swap yep. that out because I like the fork. And then just riser bars. Yeah. Brought the front end up a little bit. No doubt. Seems yeah. to fit. And I, I actually went to a physio in town too and like spoke with her about um, how to set the bike up for my body. Yes. Like see what's different. And that was like, it was really neat to just see like, oh yeah, no, like you, you did this for this reason, but we're going to put it back and thinking of specifics right now, I can't, but she ended up putting like pedal spacers on there because my hips won't let my feet come far enough apart. So she put like one inch or like half inch, half inch pa- uh, spacers on the pedals, like shove them out. And that's been a dream. Like, and yeah, bike fits do things. such a big, yeah. like, it makes such it a big difference. Yeah, it's that was crazy. Really cool. Yeah. And when you're descending in terms of, you know, as we know, when, when you're descending through rough technical terrain, the, bar, the bike obviously wants, wants to make a lot of noise. Is that, have you had to do anything fit to let, to let the bike want to move anything for you particularly to, to kind of aid that? That's on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's no. kind of better that way. No, that's kind of like why I enjoy the technology we have today too. Cause it does like, you don't want the bike to do everything for you. You want to mm. have some input and that's kind of what makes it feel like mountain biking to me anyways. I did, I did switch from mullet to full 29 oh, nice. and I, I did enjoy that a lot. Nice. Um, but that's the back tire, right? That's where all like your compression through your quads, like that's yeah. all I've got and they're not very strong. Mm. Um, so having full 29 for me meant like absorption was like, yeah, a bit more going. rollover perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just like you, in compressions off of like steep transitions is you know comes back to bite you every once in a while, but it's uh, <laughs> and it's good. You, and you mentioned you know so twenty nine is is really great for for your bike. The electric really really helps. Is there anything that you think? Fuck! I wish this would be such a simple thing, not even to necessarily have from the factory, but such an option to have that would make a huge difference to my riding, or. You know that that that's not there already. That's not there already. Yeah. Even no. if, even if it's just like a fit or dimension or something. I don't it's think pretty, so. That I, range is pretty bang on. I I got lucky enough to to grow up here and ride bikes here. Um, yeah. So I was like I was riding a Rocky Mountain flatline, <laughs> and I was just pedaling that uh, on the trails. You know, not not well and not far. I would. I'm the reason that there's a there's a an adaptive shuttle sign to Sudasuga. I would always, I would always just drive in there and then, you know. You, might, you mind if I tell a story about how we first met in the gondola that day? Ooh, you, don't maybe, you don't even remember. No, you spoke at my school. I did come to your school. I remember <laughs> that. I got to introduce uh, yeah. yourself to me, and I got to mm-hmm. know you. But then also, you and I had that weird summer where we kept meeting each other in the gondola, and. Alex jumps in the gondola and I look over and there's just all this blood pouring down from his knee and stuff. And I look over and he's got the full leg braces on and the metal part is digging into his leg. It's all bleeding. He could care less. All he wanted to do is get laps. And in fact, that year, Alex, was the year that you and I raced against each other on A-line mm-hmm. and we were in the same second. Yeah, that's, yeah, that oh, was tight. That was no fun. I, and so, you know, people always talk about inspiring or stuff like that. 
for me as someone who's broken my back off to get to know someone like <laughs> Alex and get to be a part of their whole journey. For me, it's just, it's an honor to be able to know. I know that kid and I've hung out with that kid before. Yeah. So uh, cool. That's yeah, super really cool. cool. Uh, and yeah. you, well, you showed me my first, well, not first ski movies, but. I remember we watched a little bit of uh, ski racing back in the day too. Yeah, we, we did some of that. You came up to my house. We went through all those videos and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. kind of bugging him because he was the first person to do a backflip on a sit ski into a bag, but he never recorded it. And so I well, kept bugging him and begging no, him. No, it's recorded to the bag. <laughs> I never stuck it to snow. Okay. Isn't that such a lost, it's such a funny, like oh, I whatever. buddies with Josh too. I know He's awesome. nobody I'm cares, still. right? And Josh no, doesn't great. care either. And that's like, it's such a different vibe these days from like, yeah, if you didn't record it, you didn't do it. But there's so <laughs> no, many, there's so many people. That, like, can you just explain the story a bit for the listeners at home? What 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 was the deal? So you got the first backflip, but to the back. Sit skiing, yeah. So uh, Josh was working on Josh Duick was working on flipping, and it was his thing because he he broke his back doing a front flip. It was that he broke his back. Was that on skis or mountain skis? skis? Yeah, he was coaching skiing at the time, uh, and so he was working on how to go upside down again and it was kind of I, I don't know i didn't i didn't know him as well as i hoped at the time mm. uh, it was kind of like i kind of knew it was on the radar and i'd seen him trying it at woodward um and like getting kind of three quarters into the into the foam pit um i thought oh, that's cool didn't think much of it and then um chris turpin had me over at momentum ski camps and he called me in do you want to jump the bag sure up the bag and well now you gotta do something in it <laughs> do you want to flip i'll teach you to flip well, not really <laughs> but okay hell yeah um and then yeah within three jumps uh made the rotation it's a uh, yeah it was it was cool because he could kind of translate the motion of like pull extend off tuck and it loops around and he did the same thing with me like i'm i'm lucky enough um to have full core strength um so i could do like the the pull back off the lip and mm -hmm. then tuck my knees into my chest and that was it to make it come around whereas josh is like he's he's paralyzed from quite a bit higher up right so his his flip that he ended up sticking was absolutely massive i was gonna say it was huge man it was that <laughs> so was so sick that was ridiculous but does that mean because he hasn't got the rotation he has to go bigger so his, his body stayed open because he can't he can't just like halfway through the flip tuck his, his body knees. in yeah he he just he's open did it's a late it's a laid out flip no matter what <laughs> did you see that like softball so size cool. bump at, on the lip but we had a little kicker on the lip i don't know if he but he had a little kicker mm. and that was what would punch him upside down so that yeah. little extra bit of kick there yeah so I thought for sure he was going to get sponsored by Red Bull when that one happened. I'm like, this is <laughs> finally like we're going to break the, the 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 energy drink ceiling. Like, no, there's not a no. single disabled athlete that's got like an energy drink sponsor. And I uh, thought this is going to be it. This no. is going to be it. Yeah. Adaptive and sports you know aren't on TV yet. Uh, there's nowhere for their logo to go. They're not. It'll happen though, man. I really do think it's a uh, yeah. And eventually. I don't I don't want to put. I, I have the dis discussion with a lot of friends all the time over beers and tubes and stuff all the time, but it's. It's, it's great, man. It's such a cool time to be in adaptive sport right now. Like there's guys like Trevor Kennison landing double backflips now on sit skis and mm -hmm. the mountain biking's going crazy. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a rush for any of that stuff. And yeah, I don't, I'm just stoked to see the progression. I think one day it'll happen. I don't think we're quite there yet. There's, there's like a handful of athletes all over the world that are pushing the boundaries, but 
it's not quite at a level where it's like we'll have a category where everybody's throwing down. Like I think within five, ten years, though, I think we're pretty close. And I will jump ahead to probably a different conversation, but yeah. I feel the same way about the rating for adaptive trails. Totally, hundred percent. Like dude. I like let's the get, idea of being like, this. "Hey, hang on, we want adaptive trail ratings on our trails. How do we make this work?" And they've just started to drop a system, and it's being implemented already, and it's. It's a Dude. little bit loose. So, no, so, yeah, so, no, I would say some incredulous looks about no, what I'm, you think I'm excited can you, to get can into Can you explain this. the problem? Yeah. And just, just explain it to me like a complete idiot. What, what, where, uh, where are we right now? Don't hold back either, Alex. Well, the problem right now is some of the able-bodied powers at B think an adaptive trail is a gravel green blue trail. Yeah. Highway. Um, <laughs> you know, like... Not that half Nelson's not fun, but that's like that's a hard adaptive trail for them. Mm. That's just not true. I know a friend who went and rode Birdwire, and some people oh, are listening well, who will know what that trail is. Basically, like, yeah. For for those of you that don't know, <laughs> the World Cup racers practice their shuttle laps in Squamish on this trail. Yeah, and the ones um, around it. And it's, yeah, they're all it's, similar. It's basically there's there's a, a region in Squamish, and it, they're not all official trails, but honestly, if you want to push a bike to its limits. That's where you go. It's steep. It's techy. It's high consequence. It's everything you'd want a real, like a yeah. World Cup track to yeah. be, right? And I think I think there are like pinch points to where she didn't get through. Yeah. Um, but you know the bike. But fuck course, it. Yeah. Someone to lift the bike yeah. around and good to go. Um, but I think that's like anyway. like you were saying earlier. Those are the the little changes. It's not that the bikes aren't capable of that terrain yeah. necessarily. It's just like there's little spots on the trail where it might be a width thing or like yeah, and that's. Like it's one of those things. Like that would be maybe an able-bodied double black diamond, and an adaptive bike's been done. What freaks me out about the rating system is the rating system doesn't seem to have any consistency. And and people see the, the blue wheelchair, and then they think that's going to be blue, and that's going to be green. So my whole question is, do we even need those signs? Well, to be fair, wasn't it just fine before when we had blue, green, and black? Like why do we have to have a handy blue, green, and black? Like what the what the hell is that? It's, yeah, that to be sense. fair, yeah. it's it's young. Um, yeah. Young, it's premature. But I think I think Stacy just made a good point yeah. though. If you know you can ride, like the whole point we have graded trails is so you know you can ride a blue, you know you can ride a black, well, and, and if you know how you fit into that, then yeah. surely that's, that's what I I personally think the rating should be yeah. is like this trail is wide enough. You're not going to have to get out. You can ride this on your own. Cool. Yeah. Right. There's not a, a tree that's just going to like make you stuck. So and you then could you get out of your bike and lift your own bike around and take forever to do it. Yeah. Because that's hard to find out when you're in the middle of a forest. Hmm. So if that's the rating, I would I would say that's good. You know, that's enough to be like, well, you can get down. So are you saying that maybe <laughs> yeah, it totally. should be also? Oh, no, that's okay. I was just gonna say, yeah, I think I think it's a really good. Um, I think the intent is really good, and I love where they're going with. I love the mm -hmm. initiative that they're taking and the direction that it's going. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I think that, yeah, I personally think and this is no discredit to all the effort that's gone into it and stuff but i do think that um it's a bit overkill i think it could be done a little bit more simple with rather than like these guys are saying rather than having to have like a wheelchair blue or a wheelchair whatever like the trails are already rated um you know if if we kind of go through and just revise them a little bit in terms of like you know maybe putting a minimum point or mm. you know maximum side hill or whatever like in yeah. in terms of degrees and stuff like just little funny or minute um I guess details and having just a little blurb at the bottom or even on trail forks, 
like just having little things like that or different, you know, trail rating systems like that. It kind of freaks me out because back in the day when Alex and I were sessioning the gondola, um, we didn't, weren't too much concerned about the level. Like do people realize that you can ride a line from the very top to the very bottom and never get off the ground? Yeah, totally. So, yeah. I mean, how do you think we started? Like, you think we cleared eighty percent of the jumps on the first day? <laughs> yeah. No, dude. It took like years to build up. <laughs> yeah. So for me to say, well, oh, that's a double black diamond. Yeah, it's like only if you're gonna do the gap or you're gonna jump the biggest jump there. But you can roll everything. Mm. You can roll everything in the park. And do you think so? If it's rollable, <laughs> then it's yeah. Yeah, but what's there? Uh, like you could try and roll everything. Yeah, park. I was gonna say there's probably some stuff <laughs> you can't good. roll specifically. But <laughs> you know, no, but I mean just not having to to worry about the fact that i have to get off the ground like there should be no pressure for yeah. him to, you must jump i don't i don't i don't think we should be scaring people to say you can't jump but i think well, that's also. where the difference is sorry is is like yeah a line is all tabletops and there's no mandatory drops or gaps right and that's the thing is like you go up to bigger trails that that the trailheads list that they're like mandatory gaps or mandatory drops mm -hmm. and you're like oh, okay well maybe like I'll attempt this trail with some buddies first and, yeah. you know, make sure I stay off to the side to check stuff out first time. But yeah, anyways. And when, when we're talking about bike parks or, you know, sort of lift access trails, we're talking a lot about how we rate the downhill trails. But when you, because obviously as an able-bodied person, I look at and I know that I can get my bike on that chairlift because they offer two-wheel bike. Is there, much, is there enough information for you about accessing just getting up on the on the lifts is that consistent across is that standardized in any way i can comment a little bit on that it's definitely not standardized <laughs> yeah. um I, i'd love to give big props to whistler actually for this past couple of years they've been putting a lot of efforts into improving their um signage information for village access for you know bathrooms all that kind of stuff improving the lift access and um, just informing the lifties on on procedures and stuff i mean obviously stacy's put a lot of groundwork in both sorry both these guys i don't mean to Cut uh, you out, Alex. No, Both no, of you guys, it's, like obviously you load more, it a little bit different. Being a pioneer yeah. is not always fun, is it, Alex? I clue what's going on. Totally. No, but, but yeah, it's they've been doing a really good job. And I think just, you know, as an adaptive athlete, I always really try and um just be patient and and take the time to explain things to um to like to lifties or, you know, people that are new to the the whole process, um, so that they can understand. They're not scared to like, you know, touch your bike or you know, touchy in the wrong ways kind of thing. You can kind of explain it to them and, and just make sure that they're on the same page. But yeah, it's it's been cool. They've been putting a lot of work in and I think uh, hopefully I'm not spilling too many beans or speaking off record, but uh, yeah, I think they're going towards having a, a different lifting uh, mechanism for one of the new lifts that they're going awesome. with. It's mm -hmm. more of a platform that you can roll onto um, without having to get out of your bike. So making it a lot quicker, easier, not for just the adaptive athletes, but for, you know, the whole lineup of people we all know that Whistler gets fucking bonkers in the summertime, especially around Crankworks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we're aware that it's not fun waiting in a line, but we're also very aware that it's not fun making people wait a little bit longer in that yeah. line, having that pressure on you. So yeah, it it's cool to, yeah, it sucks, man. Yeah. It's never our intention. We just want to be up there riding like everybody else. But um, also, that's the hardest part of my day. Yeah, totally. Getting on the lift. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, you know, you said about, I'm sure there are lots of very well-meaning like lift attendants yeah. that aren't that have the confidence or the training whatever totally and i think sometimes yeah, pressure training? makes people communicate less exactly which then yeah the pressure and like you said what training but yeah like i worked with pete tongue um up yeah. at the lift yeah pete's lift. really good yeah he's yeah. wicked there's been a video now for three years we made a video three years ago on how to load and unload the the chairlift on a bike 
These new chairlifts that are coming in, they're going to take the place of fits. They're so wide, we're going to be able to put two four-wheelers on one chairlift. Oh, sick. So it's going to be great for that. Yeah. It's going to be great for keeping the, the line moving. Like Cole yeah. said, nobody wants to make the be the guy that makes yeah. the, the, the lift shut down. No one likes that. Um, and so I think when we see the, the, the new chairlift and maybe some of the new things that they have online from, from Palma and stuff coming down the road, it's a great start, but it just seems like we have to restart every couple of years ago. Yay, nay, Alex? Yeah, I mean, uh, I worked there for 10 years. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, so, you'll have really good insight I mean, on that. Between, yeah, Pete Tung and um, Mike St. Eve, talking mm -hmm. to those guys for a lot of years. Yeah. And they do care, and it, it is like... You can tell big time. It's a, it's a big machine to, to change totally. protocols and, and adding things, and it's got yeah, power to them for giving and it I a think shot. It's, it's good and obviously like like everything man it takes a it takes a long time to to fine-tune something like that sometimes it takes a little bit of like you gotta yeah you gotta dip the toes in sometimes more so than you'd like to try it out and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you got to go back to square one but i think as long as we're continuing to try new things and i think yeah. eventually it'll catch on and you know i, I think the, whistler's doing a good job of kind of spearheading that with one of the biggest lift companies in the world and yeah, obviously Vale's a big resort too and i think once we or once they nail it, um, I think hopefully a lot of other resorts will follow suit. And yeah, hopefully that's sooner than later. <laughs> um, Stacey, we're talking, you know, you moved to Whistler, what, 20 years ago? I got here in May of 2002. And the only reason I moved here was because of the bike park. The bike nice. park. That was it. Nice. It was because of the bike Good park. Good reason. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> you're thinking not the only one, hey. Um, there's sometimes I feel in the bike industry that in some ways we're given this massive help from the ski industry and the sometimes people's expectations or maybe the sort of the industry architecture and there are other ways which it's not always always the most helpful do, do you think do you think the kind of the industry's acceptance of it is different like you know do you think people are ready to help mountain them? biking is totally different than skiing mm. uh, skiing is a lot more bourgeois culture mountain biking is a lot more blue collar mm. um a lot more um people involved in mountain biking know the consequences are large um Sit skiing and stuff, when you're riding the powder and you're crashing the powder, it's pretty safe. You know, you're doing 15, 20K in the powder, you tumble, no big deal. I wouldn't want to tumble at 20K in, in yeah. the bike park, in my four-wheeled bike. Um, it just, it would not be good. Um, at did, the you same not, did you not have any crashes? Like, I've seen some <laughs> fucking gnarly GS crashes on sit skis, yes. man. And that scared the living shit out of me. Uh, yes. Like, complete knocked out ragdoll. I can't remember what the guy's name is. Um, there's like Tyler. pretty famous. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler Walker. Yeah, Tyler Walker. Walker. flying his, in the air dude, in Sochi. His Ooh. crash in Russia. Oh, my that God. Gnarly. Nightmare that material, man. Yeah. Have you had any of those, Stacey? I have. <laughs> I broke my uh, rotator cuff up on the 7th Heaven Downhill on Blackcomb, 1995. Gnarly. Blew Ugh. my shoulder right out. Ooh. That's no fun at all. Put it this way, Henry. At this stage of my life, I would sooner come in 50th out of 60 pro racers than, wear, than win a Paralympic gold medal. Mm. It means me. It means more to me that I've come in 47 out of 50 in the pro men class because I earned it rather than the Paralympics. Mm. And w it sounds like you're quite disillusioned with the uh, Paralympic. So A little would that bit. Be fair to say, and it's the same thing as like part of the reason why we're here today, Henry, is I want people to realize that it's not just bikes and people with helmets. Yeah. There's people underneath there. There's and personalities. There's there's people, there's people's sons and, and fathers and all that. There's someone behind all that. Mm. We tend to look at the technology and go, ooh, look at that. But what about, ooh, those guys are gnarly athletes. Gnarly, yeah. We're uh, sparking a little bit of a one for me too, but 
not just like those guys are gnarly athletes because they got up, you know, they lived their life in a wheelchair. They got up, brushed their teeth, took a shit, took a shower and got out of the house kind of thing, like props for you. But like, yeah, I don't know, man, I just, I think we can all kind of speak for that. Like we're the same, same as everybody else. You, you adapt just like with the equipment and the bikes and the community and stuff, you kind of adapt and I don't know. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm just out here doing my thing. And that's kind of how I want to be treated. I don't want to be treated like I'm this special thing because I had this big accident and yeah, it's, it's, it's it means nothing to me that's in the past. And I just, yeah, just want to continue living my life and with my homies. It's, it's, it's interesting because it, I'm, I'm doing the same thing right now as skiing and I'm making a movie and I'm trying to figure out how normal I can make the ski movie. Yeah, mm. and It's like taking all these clips that, this team wants because it's it's interesting but you, if you take all of those clips yes. you have a movie that's completely othering which is yeah. a good term i heard the other day yeah. it's that like, is a good it's not term. bad I've never heard it's that. not like ooh, it's woe is me it's just like oh different and they're gonna think about different all the time it's like if we can make a cool ski movie it's just a cool ski movie there's a sport there yeah it goes back to like oh that's the same but it sounds like it's not the same yet it's they're, they're all young sports but yeah, but it, 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 sounds, it sounds like, you know, whatever your personal situation, it shouldn't be a way to turn you from a three-dimensional person to a one-dimensional one. Yeah. It should be actually a, a, a better way to think, oh, I know that person's a three-dimensional person because they love the mountains just like I do. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually it's, a place of common ground, not a place for... It's totally. just people need somewhere to start to. Yeah. You go up to someone with a disability, you have no idea what the disability is. You yes. don't know how they got it. They don't know what's going on. Start with the basics. Yeah, they they slow right down. Like, Whoa, yeah, and fair enough. Like, I don't know what's going. On. I I always seem to get lucky and get schooled by those people that have been in it the longest. So after like two years of hanging out with Alex and stuff, for me it was like that guy was like my inspiration. Like I I figured out more about my disability or what do you want to call it. I figured out more by watching him and seeing how he carries himself and how he interacts with people. So for me, I was really lucky again. Another kid to show me the ropes, and yeah. so. <laughs> the I word is in there. It's, it's inspirational, but I can't deny it. I was totally inspired by Alex. Totally. Mm. But I think that's, wow. but I think that's like, to me, that doesn't sound like it was something to do with, and obviously I, you know, I'm very happy to be wrong about this, but that just it seems like just really respecting a peer and a friend. Yeah. Not someone, exactly. a peer and a friend who's disabled. You know, I've got friends that, fuck, I look up to them every day, you know? But gnarly's gnarly. Gnarly's gnarly. Exactly. And Alex is gnarly. Well, it's, yeah, gnarly's gnarly. gnarly. <laughs> we all get into sports the same way, embodied mm. or not. Like, but me getting into the sport of sit skiing was because I saw your sit skiing in a mountain bike movie. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was like, oh, cool. Like, that guy's doing jumps in a sit ski. Like, yeah. It's not just a disabled sport. Like, that's kind of rad. Mm. And that's what let me kind of get over the idea of starting disabled sports. For my first time, it was my first disabled sport. Okay, cool. Like, this can be, like, exciting and fun. It's not like, you know. It's expression, retired man. Retired volunteers picking you up on groomers all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, it's true. Like, those are the people that have time to do it. It's fine. Um, and, the, like, I, I'm super lucky to have had a bunch of really good volunteers. That, but at 16 years old, you're like, I just want to ski with my friends in the park. Yeah. No doubt. Well, that's yeah. what I did. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. So, with... I think oftentimes in sports from the infancy, the immediate sort of and most direct path is right. Let's race and let's time. Yes. And then sports get more developed, and you're actually a lot of people are like, I don't want to race. It gives me really bad anxiety. Yeah. No I just shit. want to do something cool. 
Where would you say the sort of the scene is in regards to that? Is there is there still a focus on racing, or can you? Is there room for expression? Would you say I won the Paralympic gold medal in 1994. the The plan that I had before I went there with my girlfriend Sarah was uh, I was going to go there, I was going to win, and I was going to go and I'd quit right away and tell the whole world that it's not about winning or losing; it's about expressing yourself and being more like skateboarding and snowboarding and stuff like that. That worked for a while. Can't market that. Yeah. People can quantify racing. They can quantify the the, uh, 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 advertising through the exposure of the athlete, you know? Yeah. That's changing. I was going to say, I think that's changing. changing Look at Trevor Go. That's exactly what I was going to say. What's that? Look at Trevor Go. Guys like Trevor. He films all the time. People follow it. It's great. He doesn't. He's never. I don't think Trevor's ever raced, has he? I've seen video of him racing. He's probably raced and like he's raced sit skiing a little bit too, but but it's not. But where's the Red Bull helmet? Where's the Monster helmet? That's that's coverage. Yeah, no, there's it's, no it's, reason. It's quality. It's a quality. It comes down to being equal. If someone's out there stoking people out and got 13 million hits in their video, you don't want to give them Red Bull helmet? What the hell is that? I think it'd be cool mm. to see it go there, but I don't think that should close. define what... Yeah, one, I don't think, like Alex just said, I don't think it's close enough yet. But two, I, I think... I don't know. It's hard because it does... Arguably, it does define athletes having having that representation, but... That's kind of where this whole conversation is, I think, is like, yeah, we're just out riding and and expressing ourselves. Like Trevor was an early athlete before he was injured. Same with both of you guys. And it's it's no different. I think it's just we're out here pushing ourselves and expressing ourselves. And I think sport for me is a chance to like get out of get out of the chair, which does define me in the wrong way, restrict me in, in ways. And the equipment that I get to go in ski and bike with. Is Did you guys see the Kennison uh, line of helmets and goggles that Spy put out a couple cool. of years ago? I saw the goggles. I didn't no. see the helmet though. So you have you've never it. seen it? No, so I missed exactly. it. Exactly. So yeah. who else has seen it then? Like if, if you haven't seen it, I mean, <laughs> but come I guess on. isn't yeah. that isn't that like a good? I Could guess you example. Sorry, of, just who, yeah, yeah. who this person is and yeah, why yeah, they're sorry. important to. Uh, Trevor Kennison, hot new kid out of Colorado, I think. Uh, did himself off snowboarding. Came back. Probably looked at the videos, saw Josh do it, and maybe even caught a video of this guy going into the bag or whatever, and just decided he's going to go back. The kid <laughs> hucks. Sends. He is a hucker. And he did a double. And but he he did a series of products oh. with. Did you say spy? Spy. Spy. And so if we if we're the adaptive athletes and we don't even know that one of our kind has a signature line, mm. like how come they didn't promote the signature line better? Why not a two page ad? Well, why? Can you, can why, you look why, at that why? in different ways though too? Like. Um, from our, yeah, I don't know. I, and not, this is totally just play, playing devil's advocate, hit me, but hit me. is it because it isn't that big yet? Like we think it's big because we're in that position, you know, we're in the Sitsky, we're in the equipment. It's like, dude, this guy's the, the epitome of athletes in adaptive world, but it's kind of a good depiction of like, it hasn't quite reached the level in an, in able-bodied sport yet to get that note, like that notary yet. But he gets more hits than a lot of his able-bodied counterparts. True, true. So that's true equality. That's true leveling up. That's fair. Um, for me, I just I don't think people realize um, how hard it is to do some of these things, and then to have people come up and say, "Oh, you're inspiring," or blah 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 blah. And then at the end of the day, to find out that you don't got to head your sponsor. It's it's a you know, familiarity it's like, the, thing, like with but skiing, with, skiing, biking is biking. Yeah. You, yeah you got some we could throw this conversation at the wall for hours <laughs> yeah, that dude. that one itself like we gotta yeah. eventually put I, that down. yeah i go <laughs> full cynicism with this sort of thing yeah and the example i would cite mm-hmm. is and without you know 
going into two different no, waters. It's no. the truth. You the will sport's not, not there yet. Yeah, you well, will not hurt I think, you know, did, did the CEO of Nike wake up one day and think, fuck, the plight of Colin Kaepernick, we need to do a line? Or did they think, hold on, it's just reaching its inflection point. If we sponsor this athlete now, who when he was, you know, he was refusing to stand, et cetera, et cetera, that is going to generate more sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I think that that, is is the is, and it's the same, but the thing that's the thing that I look at it like that. And it's the same with um, basically getting anyone that isn't uh, able-bodied, straight white dude on a mountain bike. Yeah, is the more we can do it, the more mountain bikers they are, and the more in the mo- in the coldest terms possible, the more money these companies can make. Yeah, totally. Yeah. you know, and it it's, is so. It kind of sounds not very nice to say, but no, they're businesses. Whatever. They're very. Totally. I yeah. think they're very. It's totally. very cold, and it is all. And what was funny about, I think. I know I think about that sort of thing is things like that are heralded with being inclusive. Yeah. But actually in, in some elements, they're trying to convince in the Colin Kaepernick case, everyone to buy $300 trainers, which I don't know if that is inclusive or not, but you know what I mean? It's all, it's quite, it's like smokes and mirrors. It's really complicated. Totally. Um, so as we go forward and, you know, we've, we've spoken about how we can make not necessarily access, but even just something so simple as um, how we identify trails or how, how we categorize them better. Um, we've spoken about how some bike parks are kind of getting up to speed. Um, we've also spoken about whether it's, you know, a f- four wheel bike that you ride today that feels like it's very much all about the gravity. gravity. Um, we've got these sort of various sort of three wheeled bikes that Boa do some pedal, some, I guess, uh, not so. And then we've got, um, just, you know, reg- regular e-bikes. Where do we, where do we kind of go to next when it comes to making the best bikes possible for as many different people possible? If any kind of, I imagine you guys probably feel, you know, I know you're making your own bikes, you're modifying stuff, you fully feel quite well catered to, but is there anything you think, actually, this would be a really good, a really good place to get to? Is it a case of, for instance, with something like that, um, the hand crank bike, if we had a, a half a weight motor with, or a battery with double the capacity or, or something like that, is there anything that would really <laughs> would could, could be that watershed moment where it really kicks on? Those are your bikes. Those are definitely your bikes. I think yeah. you, you hit it on the head with like the simple bits of like lighter motors, longer batteries. Totally, it's a lot safer for a lot of people. Mm. I would say that's but, in both. But like, that's yeah, able oh, yeah, body, I think able that body goes and anywhere. Yeah, totally. And okay. even like vehicles, like that's like the whole e world. I think just lighter, easy, quicker charge. So then these guys are the e bike stars then. They're the e-bike superheroes right here. These two right here should be marketed to every e-bike owner out there. What, These what? are the top people in electric bikes. No they, one's got as much integrity. No one's got as much uh, uh, excitement. And talk about like sticking to it and achieving your gnarly goals. I These think, two right here are prime examples for everybody to get an e-bike. While I would agree, I think what, what would the mechanism, when that mechanism of the industry that needs to happen is it would have to be someone say... Um, Bosch are able to have the same technology in a hand crank that they can have in, do you know, do you know what I mean? They Similar do. to how they do in... That's, oh, that's they, what we use for hand cranks is Bosch. Is it Bosch? Yeah, so Bosch CX can't series. sponsor him? So it's... Well, and that's where it's going, man. I think it'll it'll get there. We've only had our, a Bosch in our, in our bikes for like a year and a half now, maybe two years. Mm. So it's still super green. And, you know, the bikes have only like... We've only had racing for the last three years, which like you were talking about are a little bit controversial in terms of the growth of the sport. I think you kind of have to have the racing and the blue collar stuff, just the day to day. That's mm-hmm. kind of what keeps it going and what makes it fun for me. Racing is fun, but I, like 
the majority of what I really enjoy and what, what truly makes me happy is just out riding with my homies mm. progressing oh, yeah. on my own level, yeah. you know? Um, but I do think like with that and with time and the more people that get into the bikes, there's, there's more reason to, you know, the more bikes that get sold, there's more money to be able to put into, um, R and D and testing and, and building the bikes better. And I think bowhead is similar. Like, obviously I'm not, yeah, not trying to push but, them too no, no, much, no. but, but I think, I think you tapped on something really well there. You know, you still about the integration with Bosch and whilst it does make, I think that there are lots of people within the mountain biking industry, like for instance, you go to Taiwan. And people work in the mountain biking industry that have they've never been yeah. off-road mountain biking. Totally, they have no concept of it. <laughs> totally, and they're so they're you know we've got so many different elements to explain in some yeah. ways to the industry because we live in the sea to sky and everyone rides a mountain bike, right? Yeah. And we all know how amazing it is and how you've got this vast network of trails and get into the mountains. But so a lot of people, even in the industry, they don't understand probably the level of access or what you know. For instance, how far you can take a Bosch motor to totally. make you know, and so to even we're probably like two or three little yeah you know (laughs) maybe even more more, yeah well a lot of things i'm I'm kind of thinking the other way too like it's a lot of bike riders that i wouldn't want to be scientists (laughs) dude (laughs) like there's they're doing a good job (laughs) things are going well yes (laughs) no i think that's very fair yeah i think it's going the right direction man i I do and i think things like that take time and yeah the more people the more brains the more experience you get on the bikes the the more they're going to progress and i think just like every other mountain bike company the adaptive bikes will progress with that and it'll just continue to get better and better. Mm. Cool. I think that's probably quite a good place to leave it. We already talked about, you know, this is definitely something we should do. You know, it sounds like the technology is going at such a rate. Everything's changing. There's more yeah. people getting out there, getting riding, but we'll definitely have to tune back into this one. And I um, just want to say thank you for swinging by the Scottish for office. Us, man. Oh, no, it's it's, so, yeah, it's so great. Um, I kind of came into this. I was thinking, like, I was speaking to our mutual friend, Adam, who works for, for Bowhead. Yep. And I was once Stacey reached out about doing this podcast, I thought, fuck, I should ring up Adam and I should put in like our school, you know. And I thought, in some ways, probably to be honest, my I want to put my hands up to say my experience and knowledge probably reflects a lot of the pink bike users. Yeah. So I thought, I don't know. I thought I'm gonna go in just just try and be as as curious as possible. Yeah, totally. And hopefully we can all um we can all learn to I think the thing that I kind of maybe um away from it was well amongst many things but i think one thing that'd be super cool is if, if everyone listened to this and everyone that did and that maybe they speak to their local trail organization they just raise the point of classifying trails it seems like such an easy fix oh. or if they hear the podcast and they want to know more about the athletes or the bikes here maybe we can come back in four months and already have like a hundred questions you yeah. know question for alex and just kind of go through it that way we we'd be really stoked to come by you know every two or three four months and, and say hi and let you know where, where things are going. Yeah, that's a really good point. So drop your questions in the comments yes, below. Yes, questions. And um, yeah, it'd be great to talk more about this. And also your own experiences, you know, because there are probably some adaptive riders thinking, oh, fuck, you know what? They've covered everything. But this one thing has always annoyed me about my something with it. And I'd love to hear also, about it. Also, kind of my, oh, you give it oh, sorry. Well, man. that's kind of my point too, is I think there's more people to talk to about this stuff. Mm. Um, you know, if you get a hold of Ethan Kruger, Sierra, there's like... There's a crew of people that are working on like policy stuff yeah. that it's worth it's worth that's, digging into eventually and and seeing. I mean, you're doing a bit of it too. It's like I was just gonna say, yeah, like those guys are just doing so much work. Don't be afraid to stop and just talk too. Like we're just just humans biking, man. Mm-hmm. There's no like doesn't always have to be like a big Real pat on the back. The just like chat about bikes, ask us, talk about things. That's how the the community gets 
gets bigger and yeah, the, the knowledge gets more vast and it goes for everything disabled. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get you sponsored by Red Bull, right? Yeah. Yeah. If there's anyone from Red Bull listening, <laughs> you fucking, we can sort something out. You drop me a PM. And we'll go from there. Yeah. Cole, Cole's got it. Cole's got it. <laughs> Thank you so much guys. That was great. Thank you. Thanks Henry. man. Thank you. And we're back. So thank you to the three of those for coming in, uh, actually down to the Pink Bike Studios in Squamish for that chat. Now, let's get on to our music corners. Dario, which Celine Dion song are you picking this week? Uh, Canada's Queen. I am going to keep her on the (laughs) shelf this week, but uh, I will follow in my regular tracks of recommending music that I really listen to a lot. Uh, instead of going for something new and obscure, I'm going to go with a album that I listen to like once a week. It is the album Golem, G O L E M by wand, uh, psych rock band that I love. Uh, it's a really good album. I would recommend listening to it entirely. It's a nice trip. So enjoy a nice trip. Lovely. Nice trip. Nice. Michael Kazma. Uh, mine's also older too and kind of mellow, but I don't know why. I like this song a lot. Then this is actually a cover song, so it's Five Years Cowboy Junkies covering David Bowie's Five Years. Um, just I like it a lot. It's got some great lines. In nice. It. Yeah. Mine is, I think it's kind of probably the antithesis of both those. I, I was looked up on Spotify. It's got like a billion listens. <laughs> so <laughs> it must be good. Um, <laughs> it must be Taylor good. Swift. That's how it works, right? Um, I've always liked, always had a soft spot for the band MGMT and Little Dark oh, yeah. Age. It's just such a great like pop tune. And um, I think it's got so many themes of like acknowledgement in there that I just love. And it's just, the lyrics are just great. Um, on to, you know, we're really trying hard to encourage people to get in with the questions on the bottom of the podcast. A question that got posted today, and I'd love to hear your two takes on it. It's basically in response to a podcast I did with TJ from Olin's. And in that, I talk about how if you had a four by four car, it'd be pretty strange if you locked out the suspension when you're going off the, on the off-road bit. <laughs> You'd want the suspension to be active. But for some reason, we have this approach to bikes. Um, and they've kind of continued that discussion and it's from Pyromaniac. And they say they've been thinking about this for a while and maybe it's worth discussing in a podcast again. Well, it's your lucky day. So they get the point that a motorized off-road vehicle needs good suspension to keep traction on uphill sections. Um, And therefore, you know, a true lockout from mountain bike suspension might not make that much sense. But those vehicles that I talked about weigh an awful lot more than a mountain bike. And, you know, the driver just sits in a vehicle. (laughs) If we look at, you know, the, the differences in terms of chassis weight, compared to rider weight or user weight obviously the difference is really 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 quite extreme and that therefore the rider has way more inertia so we need a bit more stability we don't have much preload on the suspension the ratio between sprung and unsprung mass is completely different dario you're someone that loves riding technical mountain bike trails i've seen you climb up things which is just horrid i i i'm always having a horrible time you're like a mountain goat scrabbling up just about anything going what's how much what do you, do you lock out your suspension? Do you leave it open? Do you want a soft setup? What would be your perfect climbing setup? I, I tend to leave my suspension open. I'm similar to you where I like think softer suspension yields better grip on climbs and I can pedal smooth enough that I don't feel like the bob is a huge issue. I mean, unless it's like a really lacking kinematic, but 
I, I think like with the power sports analogy, like with cars and stuff, it's like the, the weight to power to torque ratio of a vehicle is so, so much different than that of a person on a bicycle. Like you have even the maximum effort of like Nino Schurter on a bike is going to be pretty minimal relative to what a motor can put out, you know, distributed over two or four wheels. Well, Mike Levy is not here to, here to disagree with that anymore and say, actually, his, he could do seven months. Like <laughs> he could, yeah, <laughs> blow it off the track. But I just think that like, in order to compensate for that, like excessive amount of power that can be put down, you need like extra sticky suspension to kind of compensate where like we can adapt by like waiting and, and putting power down a little more carefully, I guess. Yeah. Kaz, that's, that's how about you? Sense. Yeah. I like having the option to firm things up. I don't, I definitely don't like the full like hard lockout. I think that feels pretty silly. Like turning your, your full suspension bike into a hard tail, unless you're on pavement doesn't really make sense to me, but I do think it's nice to have that kind of middle setting. Um, <clears throat> especially for like gravel roads and that type of stuff where you just don't, if you are getting any pedal bob that can kind of help minimize it. But I do think like a little bit softer does help you in the technical bits up to a certain extent. Cause if you do start getting that kind of bobbing and it just feels like it's mushing around and your, your bottom bracket height is moving around a lot. I don't think that's the answer, but I don't think you need to go the full, full lockout. Um, at least I don't usually. I would say, um, pyromaniac, if you fancy doing something, if you set your bike, so it's in its softest setting, I found for me, and I know you guys are both just going to cringe. You're just going to just absolutely hate what I'm about to say. I found that going to really to faster rebound tunes also really helps climbing performance <laughs> because the no, wheel can really fair. get back there. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go full to extreme, point, but yeah, I think faster to, is a bit better. Well, I've gone so fast on my rebound that sometimes it induces pedal bob because it comes back the other way so quick You're like cycling <laughs> through it constantly <laughs> which that yeah. is a little bit but honestly the, the grip is very good um yeah. and i really feel that it can get to in terms of stability you know reacting to that inertia you're getting it really gets it back to full travel so you're then getting the grip as it gets back to sag you know and that bit's really maximized um mm-hmm. i'd say experiment with it absolutely hate it and then tell me how wrong i am and that would just be absolutely (laughs) swell um thank you very much for listening everyone we hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you next time